Welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down Disengage, the second episode of season three of Star Trek Picard. We'll conclude our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. Before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for Disengage. Okay. On the Helios, Riker eliminates two aliens who had beamed on board in an attempt to capture the ship. Picard sets up several transporter inhibitors just in time to prevent Jack from being transported off ship. And the mysterious vessel in front of them destroys their shuttle, their only possible means of escape. Suddenly, the Alios is caught in a gravitational tractor beam. All seems lost until the Titan appears after Seven has convinced Captain Shaw to find them. Beverly's medical pod is transported to sickbay while Picard, Jack, and Riker are brought to the bridge. The captain of the mysterious ship Captain Vedic contacts Shaw and allows the Titan crew to scan her ship to take inventory of the powerful weapons she has at her disposal. She gives him one hour to transport Jack to her ship or face deadly consequences. To demonstrate her ship's power, she uses the tractor beam to catch hold of the Helios and throw it at the Titan, causing damage to the outer hull of the ship. Due to his criminal history, Shaw has Jack placed in the brig. Shaw says he is reluctant to risk the lives of his crew to protect Jack, yet he gives Riker and Picard time to, to convince him otherwise. Riker challenges Picard to figure out the parentage of Jack. Picard thinks he is questioning whether Beverly is his mother. However, Riker dismisses that notion and confronts Picard with the thinly veiled assertion, do the math. (laughs) Picard speaks with Jack in his brick cell to try to find out why Jack holds such significance to warrant his apprehension, but does not garner any information of importance except for Jack's admittance that he is a thief. The young Crusher is able to escape from the brig and make his way to the transporter room, intent on turning himself over to Vatic to protect his mother from harm. However, Seven is able to intervene before he is able to do so. On the bridge, time is running out for a decision to be made as to whether Jack will be sent to the Shrike. Suddenly, Riker appears with Beverly Crusher leaning heavily against him. She exchanges a knowing look with Picard. The Admiral tells Shaw they will not turn Jack over to the strike because he is his son. Captain Shaw acquiesces and allows Picard, who has much more tactical experience, to take command. Picard orders a volley of photon torpedoes at the strike before the Titan goes deeper into the nebula in an attempt to hide from their nemesis. Vatic giddily accepts the challenge and sends her ship after them. 
In the subplot, Rafi Musiker is ordered by her handler to drop her investigation of the perpetrator of the destruction of a Starfleet Academy recruitment center. However, Rafi refuses to beg down since 117 people died in the, in the attack and she does not believe the person blamed for the assault was the true villain. Rafi travels to District 6 to find Sneed, a Ferengi warlord who she heard had set up the connection that allowed the confiscation of the mining equipment leading to the destruction of the Starfleet Academy Recruitment Center. She meets with Jay, an artist, bar owner, and her ex-husband. She asks for information regarding Sneed, as well as their adult son, Gabe. Now, however... Jay tells her she has to make a choice, making a connection to Sneed or their son. He won't help her connect with both. When Rafi chooses Sneed, Jay berates her for putting Starfleet before her family. Rafi meets with Sneed and attempts to convince him that she works for Toluco, the one accused of stealing the mining equipment. Sneed does not buy her story since he had Toluco's severed head nearby and gleefully displayed it. In an attempt to salvage the mission, she offers him money and agrees to take a powerful illicit drug that Sneed thought would get her to divulge her true identity. When Rafi is able to withstand the potency of the drug, Sneed orders her death. Before they can carry out his orders, a white-haired but still viral wharf cuts down Sneed and his guards. He then reveals himself as Rafi's handler as he helps her to safety and reprimands her with the statement, I told you, do not engage. All right, so let's move on to the credits. Yeah, let's do that. This Engage was written by co-executive producers Christopher Monfeet and Sean Tretta. The episode was directed by the last week's director, executive producer Doug Aronowski. Monfeet is a writer best known for the 2016 horror film Abattoir and the sci-fi series 12 Monkeys. There's a lot of people in this episode that have connections to 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Additional TV credits include Night Flyers and 911 on Fox. In Star Trek, he wrote Pins, Assimilation, and Farewell for Season 2 of Picard. Monfeet will return later this season as the writer of Episode 6. John Tretta is a film and television writer, producer, director, best known for 12 Monkeys. What a surprise. FX Mayan MC and The Hunters. A new co-executive producer to Picard this season, his Star Trek writing credits include this episode's episodes four and nine. Wow. So basically, he's it's this episode and two more coming up. That's right. Tretta mm. began working in, in independent features while still a student at Arizona State University. So I guess the point this year was when when Terry Metalis took over completely as showrunner, everybody at 12 Monkeys got a notification <laughs> they was going to get a job. Right, Because right. you know the guy playing Sneed is Alan Stanford, who was the lead actor in 
12 Monkeys. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Okay, let's move on to the analysis. The theme of this episode is deja vu. We continue to follow the track of the Wrath of Khan with Picard discovering he has a son he didn't know existed. Okay, here are our first impressions. As we said last week, Disengage answered some of the questions raised by the Next Generation episode quite predictably. Picard was revealed to be the father of Beverly's son. Worf was proven to be Rafi's secret handler. It was a good thing that neither of these mysteries were drawn out for another week because doing so would have been an insult to the audience since these uh, facts were very obvious. Thankfully, the writers didn't let this happen. However, there are a few plot points that echo events from previous Star Trek stories, specifically the revelation that Jack is Picard's son. It resembles the same scenario from The Wrath of Khan. The main difference is that Kirk and his son David were aware of the other's existence. They just had never met or developed a relationship in that, in that case. The two men were kept apart by the, the request of Carol Marcus. Who is the mother, mother and lover, former lover of uh, Kirk. In this story, Picard doesn't appear to have any awareness he has a son with Beverly. Although Jack does show some uh, pinned-up resentment toward the absence of his father from his life, it's unclear whether his anger is directed towards Picard specifically, or is he just lashing out? Explaining the retconning of the previous events and behaviors that will be needed to explain when when Jack was born and why Beverly kept knowledge of him from everyone, including his birth father, is for another day. First, let's look at what worked in this episode. Okay, so here's our favorite character so far is Riker. Most of what has made the beginning of the season so entertaining is due to the presence and performance of Jonathan Frakes. Not because he has had a lot of screen time, but rather because he's been so enjoyable to watch. Watching him do his best Han Solo imitation when he says to Jack, Hey kid, throw me one of those plasma charges. And then taking out two Vatic soldiers. You can tell he's really enjoying himself. However, Frake's most important role this season has been as a surrogate for the audience. In these two episodes, Riker has delivered the right amount of humor, skepticism, and admonishment depending upon which was required at what time. His humor has kept things light. His skepticism at the most implausible story elements, including his own stupid plot of trying to convince Shaw to, to deviate their direction, their course, has said the quiet part out loud for, before the audience had a chance to. But it's Riker's admonishments of Picard to his face that have been so appreciated. Riker is playing a somewhat similar role to that which Alfred Woodard played as Lily in the film First Contact. She called Picard on his bullshit, making him see what he has refused to see. Riker made his most daring move 
when he went to sick bay to revive Beverly and bring her to the bridge so he could confirm for Picard what he already knew. For all of these reasons, it's obvious Jonathan Frakes is the MVP of this season. Next up, we want to talk about one of the other characters we admired from this episode, and that was Vadic. An equally important development in Disengage was the introduction of Amanda Plummer as the new adversary, Vadic. She immediately came in and reset the table. Vadic exudes a calm, confident arrogance that conveys complete control. Her willingness to have the Titan scan her ship was intended specifically to intimidate. Vadek's every word and act is signaling how powerful she knows she is. And this also gives the impression that she's aware of the Titan's crew and their vulnerabilities. But it wasn't just her presentation or atmosphere. Vadek dropped clues that she knew about Captain Shaw's Starfleet's psychological profile. She also stated to Picard, and I will honor my terms as if to imply that she knew of a time when he hadn't kept his to someone. Vedic's glee at the Titan attempting to escape was that of someone who joyously welcomed the chase. She seemed to anticipate the move and was pleased she had been proven right. In all of these various ways, we are guaranteed uh, a conflict with her is going to present a major challenge for our heroes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really anticipating that. I'm hoping that. And, and she's just having a wonderful time. Oh, yeah. You can tell. You know, her turning around in that chair reminded me of her father in Undiscovered Com- Country when he played General Chang, and he did pretty much a similar Yeah, her move. father, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, but unlike her father, he, she's playing a more understated oh, yeah. villain here. Yep. Let's move on now to talking about the pivotal character of Jack Crusher. Beverly's son, Jack, is reportedly a a larcenous Robin Hood type who has no problems breaking the rules in his quest to do what he thinks is right. It appears that doing right is getting medical supplies to helpless refugees outside of the Federation's authority and protection. His list of aliases indicate he knows he's breaking the law. And the list of crimes he's accused of committing indicates there's no line he won't cross. But is Beverly okay with all of this? And if so, why? For whatever, whatever, for whatever matter, why would she keep information specifically about Jack's birth from Picard for so long? Jack's illegal background bears a similarity to that of another young man who was once identified as Picard's son. In the TNG episode Bloodlines, a Ferengi named Damon Bach pledged to get revenge on Picard for killing his son several years earlier by killing Picard's unknown son. Bach found a man named Jason Vigo, the child of a single mother, and former Starfleet officer Picard had known earlier in his career. Vigo seemed perfect. His mother had been Picard's lover. The boy had grown up without a father. Following his mother's murder, Vigo becomes embittered. 
he pursued a directionless life, getting arrested several times for petty theft, disorderly conduct, and trespassing. After previously verifying Vigo's lineage, Beverly later discovered that Bach had secretly resequenced Vigo's DNA so the test would make him a genetic match with Picard. Now, like Bach, Vatic's attention is on Jax exclusively. So who is interested in this minor renegade? Jack is not, doesn't appear to be anybody special. So he's create. I mean, obviously, he's created enemies along the way, but are they the type to hire a bounty hunter to pursue him across the galaxy? Or is the real target Picard? Is Jack's real value is that he's Picard's son and some unknown party wants to inflict pain on him to therefore inflict pain on Picard or coerce him into doing something against his will? We might find out the answer to this next week. All right, so now let's turn to Rafi. Rafi's storyline continues to be concerning. We're happy to see her get her own subplot, but that story continues the pattern of abuse Rafi has encountered, both emotionally and physically. The scene with her ex-husband Jay and Sneed forcing Rafi to take the drug Stinger are yet two more hints to Rafi's past drug addiction. When are the writers going to show another side of this character? Right. I mean, this has just been going on. And I mean, she's her first scene, which was the one where she's talking to a handler, was just her doing exposition to a screen that wasn't even there. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to some changes in, this, in the Rafi storyline. So here are our final thoughts. In spite of repeating several plot points from various Star Trek films and episodes, the season maintains our attention and interest. A watchful eye, however, is focused on the treatment of Rafi. She is an interesting addition to the Star Trek canon. Rafi has risen high in Starfleet to become the trusted advisor and former first officer to Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. But but she's also been tossed aside and abandoned by Starfleet and Picard as well. Hurd's character has been misused in both previous seasons, so hopefully this third time around will be the charm. And we still have a lot to get to. Uh, they have to bring Jordy and Deanna on board for this adventure. Both of them will have choice words for Picard and Rikers, respectively. Also joining the fun to further complicate things are the flesh-toned gray-haired lore, android brother of Data, and the holographic simulation of Arthur Conan Doyle's Professor Moriarty. When we last saw those two, lore was turned off and without his emotion chip, whereas Moriarty was housed inside a holodeck storage cube living out a simulation designed to entertain him for all eternity. Let's not forget the appearance of Denise Crosby as either Tasha Yar or her half-Romulan daughter, Sela. Either way, they've got a lot to cover in the next eight episodes. So good luck. And now let's turn to our Bits and Pieces segment. We're going to call this the Hodgepodge Edition. Okay. So first... 
Let's uh, look at some ship porn. Mm. Vedic ship, the Shrike, resembles a cross between Nero's mining vessel, the Narada, from S- Star Trek, the 2009 film, and two of the Sona battlecruisers from Star Trek Insurrection when placed one on top of the other. Yeah. Um, next we want to talk about is a nebula trip. Also, at the episode's end, the face-off between the Titan and the Shrike leads to a starship chase into the nearby nebula. That's a callback to a similar tactic used by Kirk in The Wrath of Khan and Picard in The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1. And also, there's more Dorn. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, disengage. Marks Michael Dorn's 275th appearance in a Star Trek episode or film. If he's in every one of the remaining eight episodes, his final total will be 283, adding to his status as the franchise's most seen character. Mm, but, but is he the most talked about? Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Next up, we call this Shawshank, no redemption. (laughs) We don't know much about Captain Liam Shaw, but after these first two episodes, we know two things. One, he likes structure. Two, his belligerent behavior is a cover-up for something deeper. Vatic dropped a comment about his mental health records, and this could hint at a vulnerability that explains the captain's behavior and why Vatic is so confident she'll be able to overcome him. All right. And then we're going to close this off by talking about the butterfly effect. When Jack had to entertain the Fenris Rangers who boarded the Elios, it was shown that they carry medical cargo sporting the butterfly symbol of the Mariposa Medical Relief Organization. This is a callback to the organization Guinan said Cristobal Rios and Dr. Teresa Ramirez founded in the 21st century. So isn't that nice? We leave Rios back in the 21st century and he creates something that they'll use in the 25th. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, let's move on to Star Trek news. Okay. So the first thing up, we want to talk about the ready room. The latest installment of the Ready Room began with a featurette on the design of Vedic's ship, the Shrike. Will Wheaton then conducted an interview with his unknown younger half-brother, played by Ed Spilliers. Once again, there were some awkward moments in the interview, especially when Will revealed that he had no idea such a storyline was taking place until Gates McFadden slipped and told him such. Yes, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) The episode ended with a featurette on the design of District 6, followed by a clip from the next episode of Picard entitled 17 Seconds. Mm, Okay. Well, next up is some more merchandise you can purchase. (laughs) TNG Films. On April 4th, in time for First Contact Day, the four TNG feature films will be available together in a collection known as 
Star Trek The Next Generation 4 Movie Collection. Mm. It will include each of the films in 4K Ultra HD with Dolby Vision and HDR10. As well as fully remastered on Blu-ray. Plus all legacy bonus content and access to digital copies of each film. It's presented in a slipcase beautifully illustrated from what they say that (laughs) complements the Star Trek The Original 6 movie collection, making it a must-own set to complete every fan's collection, or so they say. (laughs) Audio for each movie is offered in a 7.1 Dolby True HD Lossless format. Special Instagram feature. As a special Black History Month feature, Celia Rose Gooding and Sonequa Martin-Green engaged each other in a 47-minute interview. They each talked about their approaches to their roles as Neona Uhura and Captain Michael Burnham, respectively, as well as the significance of their portrayals of Black female characters in the context of Star Trek history. I highly recommend this session for Star Trek fans as well as novice actors wanting to learn more about the entertainment business. To access it, go to Instagram at CBS TV Studios. Okay, next up, Critics' Choice Super Awards. Star Trek on Paramount announced on Instagram and Twitter that Strange New Worlds has been nominated for the Best Sci-Fi Slash Fantasy Series, and Anson Mount is in the running for Best Actor in a Sci-Fi Fantasy Series. Anson Mount's competition includes Chiwilto Ejiofor from The Man Who Fell to Earth, Sam L. Jackson from The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, Diego Luna from Star Wars Andor, Adam Scott from Apple TV Plus Severance, and Matt Smith from the House of Dragons. The Super Awards were established in 2020 to honor the finest in genre fiction films, television, and home media releases, including action, superhero, horror, science fiction, fantasy, and animation. The awards are presented by the Critics' Choice Association, which was founded in 1995, and is the largest film critics organization in the United States and Canada. The awards will be announced on March 16th. In closing, we'll be back next week with our analysis of 17 Seconds, Episode 3 of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. Also, since we've been producing this show since September of 2017, we want to suggest you explore our full catalog of episodes. Our podcast includes analysis of every episode of Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and Strange New Worlds, as well as reviews of the short tricks and several special topic shows. Please recommend our podcast to your friends or family members who want to dig deeper into the Star Trek universe. Until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek AOD. At Facebook at Facebook.com Star Trek AOD. Also our website at Star Trek AOD.net where we offer additional articles on Star Trek 
canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. Also, email the show at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.